All right, folks, shalom and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom and welcome to Malka Fleischer. Hey there, Ishai. How are you? I'm doing okay. It is a fast day today, though. Yes, it is a it's fast, a fast day. day. Today is the 17th of Tammuz, Malka, uh, and it is a day... Um, do you know what happened on the 17th of Tammuz? Five bad things. That's right. The Talmud lists five tragedies that occurred on this day. Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our prophet, uh, our teacher, found uh, the Jewish people worshiping the golden calf when he came down from Mount Sinai, from Har Sinai, and he broke the first set of Luchot, yeah, the, the tablets. So that happened today. <clears throat> That's the 17th of Tammuz remembers that. So, so basically, the one of, one of the original sins, which is the golden calf. Right. Uh, and then, but there was other things during the first temple, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he put a stop to the uh, korban tamid, the daily tamid offering, right. in the temple. In the temple. Uh, and it was not restored until way later in the second temple. So this was basically the beginning of the end. Uh, in the second temple, the walls of Jerusalem were broken into. They were at least the external part was broken into on this day. Uh, during the time uh, before the destruction of the Second Temple, a Greek general before the Romans, uh, the Greek period, this guy named Apostomos, he publicly burnt a Sefer Torah. Oy, but oy, oy. little known is that this Sefer Torah, this Torah uh, scroll, was actually written by the prophet and scribe Ezra. Ugh. And it was considered one of the most authoritative ones that we had. Oy, oy, oy. <laughs> so there was an effort to break the tradition. The same dude... Apostamus placed a statue in the Beit HaMikdash. There's some disagreement about that. But in any case, we now begin a period called the three weeks or the Bein Azmanim. Be, excuse me, Bein HaMitzarim. Yeah, not Bein Azmanim. No, not Bein Azmanim. It's like That's the later. opposite of Bein Azmanim. Right, Bein HaMitzarim, which is yeah. between the Straits of Distress. And it's the, th- it's the three weeks between the 17th of Tammuz, the fast day, and the 9th of Av. Right. So we got these two fasts. Right, and this is considered the least auspicious time in the Jewish year. Right, it's, it's not so auspicious. It's a time where you don't like, you try not to do uh, things that are overly dangerous, try to not get into fights with anyone, court cases with anybody. Right. Just lay low. That's right, lay low. That's as right. much as you can for the next three weeks. Right, that's, and that's one way of looking at it. Another way is that this is a time of, of uh, an opportunity because it's a time of teshuva, a time of uh, repentance uh, for the two biggies. Uh, the two biggies are the golden calf, i.e. idolatry, serving something else. And uh, the other one is the ninth of Av, which commemorates the rejection of the Jewish people of the land of Israel. So that's the two biggies in the, in the Torah, the two right. big sins of the Jewish people. So, you know, this is a great opportunity to fix those things. Right. Uh, through doing the opposite of idolatry. Right. And doing the opposite of rejecting the land of Israel. Right. It's really pretty easy. It's pretty simple. Let's try to do yeah. that. Let's try to do that. Um, we also, if we're already talking a little bit tragically, uh, it's fitting now to commemorate the lost of 23-year-old Sergeant David Yehuda Yitzchak from the town of Beitel, who was serving in the elite Egoz unit. Uh, he was living, uh, as I said, in Beitel, a town that you and I lived right. in for many years. That's where we started our radio work at Arutz Sheva. Um, but um, sadly, he was um, he fell in the line of duty right. uh, in battle in in uh, in, in Janine. And uh, from last time, if you if you heard our show last week, between then and now, there was a pretty serious. 
battle that took place in Janine. And uh, Janine is a hotbed of terrorism. And there was the IDF went in there hardcore and they arrested lots of folks. And there's pictures of the amazing amount of um, um, weapons that were stored, cash, 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 cachet that was stored in uh, mosques right. in Janine. There was one pretty cool picture, which I thought was pretty cool, which is that they had this, uh, like a week ago, they had this, the jihadists took a picture in front of the gate of the city saying the IDF will never enter here. And then like a week later, there was a huge picture of the IDF in front of that very same gate. Uh, uh, I didn't see that. Yeah. Oh, you didn't see I tweeted no. that. Yeah, I tweeted that one. Yeah. I retweeted that one. It I was, didn't uh, see that. I didn't even see that tweet. What is going on? Yeah, it was cool. It was cool. I, and I really like that. The only thing I didn't like is I wish there was no gate. I mean, to say I wish they would have just toppled that gate as well. I mean, mm. to say like... You got to inherit the gate of your enemies right. and you got to You got to be like, you know what? No, you know what? We're taking it apart. We're putting it somewhere else being like we own this gate, you know, and 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 there's a problem of jihadism in Janine. I actually was at a July 4th event for Newsmax mm-hmm. and there I got to see one of my mentors uh, and colleagues and uh, a person I really look up to. And that is Professor Dr. Mordechai Kedar. And I asked him what exactly is the reason he's that, one, one of our like foremost Middle East experts in the country. Right. And I asked him about Janine and uh, why Janine is such a hotbed of terror. All right, folks, Ishai Fleischer here. I'm at the beautiful King David Hotel and uh, the King David in Jerusalem. That's right. And it's also July 4th. So I'm actually at a party uh, for celebrating American independence and the company known as Newsmax, the news agency known as Newsmax, put on an event here. It's lots of fun. At the same time, while we're having fun here, just two hours drive north, there's a firefight happening right now. And IDF soldiers are in the front lines uh, fighting for uh, uh, Israel's defense. And that is a battle that's happening in a place called Janine. Uh, Janine has been a hotbed of terror for a long time. But why is that exactly? What, what is special about Janine? What's happening there? I don't know. But there is somebody here that I do know, knows, and that is Professor Mordechai Kedar, Dr. Mordechai Kedar, who's a, a professor in Bar Ilan University at the Begin Sadat Center as well. And he's one of the world's uh, eminent scholars on, uh, on the Middle East, on Arab affairs, on Arabic, and Middle East history. So, Professor Kedar, good to have you. Simply put, what's going on in, in Janine? Why is it happening in Janine? Well, Ishai, thank you so much for having me here. And uh, this is a very important question, and the answer is very simple. In the Arab world, sociology actually underlies many, many issues which we in the West do not understand. In most of the cities of Judea and Samaria, I'm talking about Hebron, I'm talking about Jericho, Ramallah, Tulkarem, Kalkilia, and Nablus, the society is based on clans, big clans. I'm talking about clans which could include uh, dozens of thousands of people. And when the clan system works, people control themselves. Because the main idea of a clan is stability, prosperity, security, in order to have peaceful life within itself and with other groups. They are as far as could be from the jihadists because the jihadists want to shake the, the, the society 
and and to bring it to all kinds of behaviors which the family, the clan, does not accept. And there is a big tension between the Islamists and the cl- the clans. In most of the Arab cities in Judea and Samaria, the clans are controlling the issue. And therefore, the youngsters behave. Because there is a big brother named the clan which overlooks everyone and makes sure that everyone behaves in order not to bring harm to the clan. Janine is built differently. Janine is a city of families, nuclear families, which moved to Janine through the last 70 years and they never shaped a big clan which lives on the pla- in the place for hundreds of years, as it is in all the other cities. Therefore, there is no big eye or big brother who watches every kid and every boy and every jihadist in Janine. So in Janine, they feel much more comfortable to do whatever they like because nobody gives them the bill. And this is actually what made uh, Janine, not from today, it's already many years. And, and after all, we shouldn't forget the Israeli operation in 2002 in the Second Intifada, uh, which, uh, was a cause, which was caused by the fact that Janine became those days as well, the big factory of, uh, of uh, explosives and the charges. So this is the issue. Shershela sociology. Look for the sociology. And this is the reason. And, uh, you know, many Islamists who had to run away from other cities found asylum in Janine because they have the, the, the people who think in the, in the same way or the kids, or the, the youngsters who think in the same way. And this is how Janine became a magnet for many jihadists who behave in like ISIS style. And we definitely saw some ISIS methods being copied by these jihadists in, in, in Janine, like shooting at cars from a car, both on, on motion. This is something which uh, ISIS used very on, on a wild scale on a wide scale so here they are uh, and, and now Israel has to deal with this uh, phenomenon All right, let's talk about how we're dealing with it actually how Israel is dealing with it tell me a little bit about the you know the firefight we're talking about we're talking about serious stuff including recently the use of a chopper of a helicopter uh, to shoot a missile into a building we're talking about um, uh, urban warfare uh, because Israel is always concerned with uh, with civilian casualties. Tell me a little bit about what's actually happening there right now, as far as you understand that you can talk about. Well, from what was published, right. uh, apparently the jihadists in Jenin, they waited for the IDF to come into the city, especially to the center of the city, what they call the refugee camp, which is uh, today part of the city. Um, and, and they actually were uh, they trapped the roads and it would be very hard for, for, for the IDF to enter those densely populated areas of Jenin. Yet, so what did, the, what did the IDF do? They started to target them from the air. After all, Israel is the bastion 
of precision in weapons. Israel, you know, knows how to get the jihadist in his bed, not hurting his wife, which is next to his bed. Okay, to that degree, Israel knows how to attack and how to get rid of certain people while leaving all the others intact. So this is and yet and yet Israel and yet Israel has not figured out a way to uproot jihadism from the land. Uh, we see a jihadism rise right now, uh, and we see young people are interested in the jihad and the continuation of that. So, so Israel may be good at precision weapons, but it has not uprooted the ideology. If, if anything, I think it has grown in the last few years. Well, it is every couple of years the jihadists actually re- reinvent their jihad and their methods and their ways, and you have to trace them. And otherwise, uh, if you let them alone for, let's say, one year or two years, they they establish themselves in the place and they dig themselves into the ground as we saw already in Jenin. They have storages, they have tunnels. They and we have, saw them in mosques. We saw tremendous well, weapons storages in mosques. For, in, the, in mosques as well. So this is why uh, in, a, in a place like Jenin especially, you have to keep chasing them. You cannot let this grass grow. You have to cut it, to trim it, um, every other day, most uh, in, in, in many cases. So, this is the issue about Janine. And I hope that the idea of learn the lesson, not to rely on the PA, which does nothing. Palestinian Authority. The Palestinian Authority, which does nothing, which wouldn't do nothing. Because they are more or less in the same, the same kind of thinking with the jihadists. After all, the PA, don't forget, sponsors the jihadists by giving give money to the families and to themselves if they are, if they are alive. So here we are. Uh, we, all the dreams about Kumbaya around the fire here in the Middle East, once you signed with the PLO, all these dreams were you know, evaporated. And now we have to live the, the reality and actually to take advantage of the clannish nature of these, of these cities and to establish the Emirates which you can find if you Google the eight Palestinian Emirates solution, you can find a lot of material about this. Dr. Mordechai Kedar, thank you very much. Let's Two things, let's pray for the safety of our troops and the destruction of those jihadist cells. Amen. And also let's pray for your trip. You're going out to uh, a speaking tour uh, yeah. around the world. You're leaving right here from here to the airport, so I want to wish you lots of success. Thank you so much. God bless you, Professor Dr. Mordechai Kedar. You too. All right, folks, we're back. Uh, thank you very much. That's very interesting. Professor Mordechai Kedar, yeah. that's, that's some serious insights about... Very interesting, how, very yeah, thought-provoking. About, uh, about how it works. And, uh, you know, he's got a peace plan that he's working on. Or I, don't, I think we need, we need another word for peace plan. It's not a peace plan. Um, regional realignment plan. That's right, the, you right. Know I mean, you know, I, think, I think we have to... Basically, the word peace is lost. You know, it's been lost. Right. It's, yeah. it's become meaningless, unfortunately. No, it's meaningful. It means give up your land No, uh, that's to not the bad what guys. peace means. That that's is right. not what peace means. Malka, after I hear and think about uh, uh, the, uh, the issues of the 17th of Tammuz, yes. uh, the fallen soldier, the problems in Janine, I need to kick back and relax a little bit, and uh, I would like to have a beer, Okay. And my friend, Ben Bresky, went to the amazing beer festival that happened very close by in a very holy and biblical city, uh, close by to where we are right now in Gush Etzion in Judea. There's this very famous town called Tkoa. 
A lot of cool things, biblical things happened there, including the prophet Amos, who came from Tekoa. Uh, and there's also a yearly beer festival. You and I were not there this year. That's supposed to be a lot of fun. But Ben Bresky was. So here's Ben with the story of Tekoa, what it really is about, its biblical connections, and it's uh, the fun stuff that's happening there today. Ben Bresky, take it away. It's much more laid back, much more casual. The vibe here is just amazing. Everyone is chill. Everyone is relaxed. There's no judgment here. This is really an open space where people just enjoy good food, good music, and really special people coming together. This is a moment in Jewish history. The town of Tekoa has its roots in the Bible as the hometown of Amos the prophet and many other biblical figures. Today, it is a thriving township of over 4,000 people located in the Gush Etzion region, south of Jerusalem. I visited Tekoa this past week for the 8th Tekoa Beer Festival. Almost 4,000 people from around the country attended the event, which featured locally brewed beers and other beverages, and famous Israeli singer Barry Sakharov. In addition to beer, there was a variety of food. Non-alcoholic beverages such as infused tea and health drinks were available as well. The following are some of my interviews with people at the event. Full disclosure, I did not actually drink any beer and gave away my free beer ticket. I think this festival is a really nice departure. It just feels like a really great gateway to the summer. Everyone's free, and it's nice to be outside Jerusalem, and it's much more laid back, much more casual, and I think everyone's having a great time. I'm definitely swept up in it. So many people, hundreds of people gathered for Barry Sakharov tonight from the center of the country, from Judea and Samaria, the north, the south, the east, the west. So many different local breweries have come out to showcase their different types of beers, and the vibe here is just amazing. Everyone is chill. Everyone is relaxed. I, in my opinion, this is the event of the summer, nicer than any other festivals in any other parts of the country. A beautiful Gush Etzion breeze. You can't beat it, Ben. And what are you drinking? I, I'm drinking beer. <laughs> what else am I drinking? I really don't know which kind. When you walk in here, you get two free tickets. So I just went to the shortest line, but it's delicious. Somewhere in that direction is a beautiful, beautiful tasting beer. And we're ready for Barry Sarkoff to go on in about 30 minutes. So very excited. What kind of food do you and your wife have? We sell injera, Ethiopian food, popcorn, and hot dogs. And how many years have you been coming to this? Since the beginning. Tell us something inspiring about the Gush. Gush Etzion is amazing. Amazing people, really artists, and the chinuch. That's the really, really place that brings people together. So let's see, I think this is about my fifth time, actually. I will tell you something special about this festival. This is a festival of unity, really, from all over the Gush, even from Jerusalem, people come out here. There's no judgment here. This is really an open space where people just enjoy good food, good beer, obviously good music, and really special people coming together. And anything about Tekoa or Gush Etzion in general? I would say back in the day, this was like a Tekoa festival. If you, I wanted to give you one, one day to sort of understand what Tekoa was about, I would send you for a walk around the wadi and then bring you to this festival at night. Now, but it got bigger now. Now we're talking, we got a fraud here. We got the whole west of the Gush. The westerners are moving east here to our side. But I would say that like, this is an ideal Tekoa, really. 
where everyone is doing their own thing and celebrating together. And this is kind of a rural neighborhood as opposed to city life. I feel like it's built up so much, though. Tacoma's gone, like, way... Like, I mean, it's still obviously out there, but... They basically built the road to Jerusalem. Once that opened that up here, used to be you had to come here from Efrat. You had to go all the way out to Efrat and back around. Once they opened that corridor up, that changed everything, and I think that was the end of our rural days. I wasn't even there back then, but... Uh, you said even Jerusalem. Don't you think like many Jerusalemites are very supportive of? Oh, hundred yeah. percent. But I just, I just feel I like Jerusalem has so many events of their own True. that, like, you know, there's a Jerusalem beer festival in Ghana. It's so different. There's yeah. all that stuff going on that, like, someone has to have a little extra push yeah, to come out here. Awesome. Anything else you want to add? I'm just interested, Mr. Bresky. Like, have you tried any of the beers yet? No, I uh, I one but Akiva is really excellent. So there's a local Akiva cider which is for all the people who don't like beer we have an option here. We got my friend Yitzi selling date beer for the gluten free Hebra. Sort of people who like sort of the alternative kind of things meanwhile I'm going to go visit my Badai and friends and get some uh, IPA but uh, loving the vibe and I'm loving that Ben's here, Erica's here my wife's here, it's really it's all coming together. After a great performance by Barry Sakharov, who played all his familiar hits, as well as opening act Nameless Faces, we headed back home, and on the way passed the sign for Nahal Tekoa, a hiking trail which leads to the Haritun Cave. Named for an early Christian monk, he escaped persecution and traveled to the land of Israel in the year 275. There, while in Jerusalem, he was abducted by bandits and taken to a cave south of Jerusalem. Tradition states that his kidnappers died by drinking wine that was poisoned by a snake. Haritun decided to stay in the cave where he became a monk. There are two locations near Tekoa that could be the tomb of Amos the prophet. One is near the ruins of an old Byzantine church, This tradition dates back to the first century. Another site is an ancient burial cave, which has now been filled with debris. Archaeologists in the 1800s discovered the ruins of houses, cisterns, and broken columns and building stones, some of which had beveled edges, which historians believed indicated Jewish origin. Discovered from the Byzantine period was an amulet etched on a silver plate written in Hebrew and Aramaic. In 1138, Tekoa was considered a Christian village. Muslims took over that year, and the Christians migrated to the nearby Haritun cave. Rabbi Jacob, a student of the famous Rabbi Yechiel of Paris, researched ancient graves in Israel in the mid-1300s. He writes of an ancient grave in Tekoa. Rabbi Yitzhak Hilo, who visited the land of Israel in 1333, describes an ancient cave in Tekoa where one of the prophets is buried. Other biblical personalities from Tekoa included the wise woman who persuaded King David to pardon his rebellious son Absalom. Ira, the son of Ikesh, one of King David's mighty men, came from Tekoa. Today, in addition to the beer festival, there's also a Tuba'av festival and a popular artist center. David Rudman, head of tourism for the Gush Etzion Regional Council, noted that the hill country of Judea mainly grew grapes. He explains that the Book of Ruth, 
which takes place mainly in Bethlehem, about 20 minutes from Tekoa, discusses Ruth working in the fields of barley. Rudman theorizes that the fields in which Ruth gleaned the barley took place where the beer festival is held today. The fields of Tekoa edge toward the desert near Mount Herodian. Because the area is warmer, it is not good for growing grapes, which need a higher and cooler climate. Tekoa, in the fields outside Bethlehem which go down toward the desert of Judea, are ideal for wheat and barley, the ingredients used to make beer, he explained. So, did the ancient Judeans drink beer? This has been a moment in Jewish history. Thank you to Erica Shackney of the Jerusalem Post. Thank you to my travel companions. Thank you to Josh Haston. Thank you to Yishai Fleischer. Thank you to all the listeners. And shalom. Okay, Ben, that was mouthwatering and intellectually <laughs> satisfying. Thank That's you fun. very much. Maka, that reminds me that we have amazing sponsors for the show, including Prohibition Pickle. That's right. That's It's a great name and an unusual product. I mean, an unusual name for an awesome product. Actually, it's an unusual name for a very traditional project, product, which is Jewish food. That's right. Delicious. Right, let's not talk too much about Jewish food today. That's right. Today's a fast day. But, but you but know what? But if you were breaking your fast... You know what? I am breaking my fast today at 6.30 in another Judean town called Bat. No, you're not breaking your no, fast No, I'm going to an event at 6.30, which yes. culminates in the end at like 8.15. Oh, that's nice. With a, that's right. It's, it's going to be high on the har, uh, is doing an event there, and I'm speaking there wow. uh, tonight. Uh, and it's going to be catered by ProhibitionPickle.co.il. Wow, that's worth it right there. So right there, two sponsors wow, of the show. Wow, that's like, yeah, that's... That's a, that's a whole lot of lotta. Yeah, okay, that's... So, Sponsor squared. That's right. That's highontheheart.com. That'll help you get up to the Temple Mount in purity and in connectivity uh, to our history and to or to the, the Jewish heart and center. And 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 to get to that center, it comes through the stomach, right? And that is <laughs> prohibitionpickle.co.il. So delicious Jewish food, catering tonight, the 17th of Tammuz, talking about the Temple Mount in Bat Ein in, in Judea. It just it all comes together. It all comes together. Uh, Malka, another thing is we actually have uh, a new sponsor of the show. That's exciting. Malka, you know, I have a lot of uh, great tour guide friends, excellent tour guide friends. I'd like to promote every single one of them. Uh, and we will be trying to promote them through our, our website that we're building now for the Biblical Highway. Uh, but I have a friend. His name is Rabbi Mo Kaplan, Mordechai Kaplan. Uh, and he has a company called Kaplan Custom Tours. And basically what this does, and I, the, the reason that I'm promoting him on the show today is because I actually recommended him to a lot of friends, and they use them, and it comes out amazing. What he does is that he helps you do Israel right. Uh, it's a veteran company, 15 years of professional service uh, for custom-built itineraries in the land of Israel. See, you have a trip. My, my buddy Jake is in country right now with a bat mitzvah. Mazel tov to Miriam. Yes, okay? Miriam. We were at the bat mitzvah yesterday and he said to me, well, I got this, you know, I don't know where to, who to hire here and where to go exactly. I said to him, you need Mo Kaplan right, to need help you. a planner. You. A planner. Basically, that's it, okay? Um, so you Plus, need- Plus, can we just say that Rabbi Mo is so inspirational. Right. He himself is a, I don't want to say because he listens to the show, but he's a tzaddik. Uh, and but he'll help yeah, you. Yeah, but he's exotic. But he also can give it over. Meaning to That's say, right. like it's it's one thing to be like an amazing person on the inside. It's another thing to be able to transmit that to the people around you and uh, and people who who experience his talks and his uh, events. They just uh, they really come away moved. Okay, but you also need your 
trip, dream trip to Israel. So he's going to keep in mind your needs, your interests, your budget, from itinerary to building and overseeing every detail of your trip. This is the way to this is the way to make it smooth for you. Yeah, so good, it's good. very simple. Here's how to do it. Go, just write to m mo kaplan at gmail.com. That's it. Mo Kaplan. M O Kaplan K A P L A N at gmail.com. Tell him that you heard it on the Ishai Fleischer show and you'll see that your trip is going to go so smooth. Also, he hires the best tour guides. The buses, the tours, the 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 places that you got to visit, the be the the behind the scenes places. Uh, Mo Kaplan Tours. Uh, it's actually it's actually Kaplan Custom Tours and Mo Kaplan at gmail.com. So congratulations to you, Mo, Rabbi Mo, for Welcome being- Welcome to the team. Yeah, that's right, being a sponsor on the show. Uh, Malka, um, this morning, I, I uh, last night, I was having a hard time falling asleep, uh, and this morning woke up to also the uh, reality that the Israeli Marxist far left is yet again shutting down the- travel routes of our yes. country including the very important Ayalon road Ayalon highway highway and then also the airport and these guys are right like, and this one this time over the firing of a particular uh police uh commissioner i think it was no police chief uh that they liked um so first it started with judicial reform and like we cannot this cannot abide. We cannot abide. That's right. And we got to like go radical and shut down everything, including schools and hospitals and the airport and roads, because like this is the destruction of our country. Now it's like, we also don't like this pol- police chief getting fired. So shut it all down again. I wonder what the next thing is that is going to be so important that we have to shut down the entire country for that they decided that we need to not be able to run our normal lives so that we'll do what they say. But I want to say that I find something particularly um, satisfying about the fact that the place that they end up clogging up the most, the place that they end up shutting down their like go to shutdown zone is the Ayalon Highway, which is the main artery serving the Tel Aviv area. Basically, they like roll out of bed, flop onto the Ayalon Highway and stay there and like shut down everything that's going on in the Tel Aviv area, which on the one hand shouldn't happen and you got to take seriously. On the other hand, uh, it's kind of funny, right? It's like, who is it that you are harming? Like, who is it that you think that you're like, they're going to be like, oh my gosh, we got to do something radically different because our lives are you know, really being affected. It's like their own constituency, their own people are the right. ones that they're hurting. I wonder if it's affecting the the um, political atmosphere over there. Okay, so how does the left usually draw itself? How does, does it present mean? itself? Uh, how does it frame itself? Yeah, It frames itself as the rational, the scientific, the one that stands against the fanatical and religious... Uh, impulses, extremists. the extremists in our nation. That is their calling card. They're like, we're doctors, we're professors, we're high-tech people, we are educated, we are using our rational mind to move forward. We don't use all kinds of biblical promises. Right, or beliefs stuff like and right. faith. And, right, so we're not, we're right. not, basically, we keep the country from being crazy. And that is their, like, when they use that card and they use it well, then that hurts because what they do is that they manage and sometimes successfully to paint the religious and the right wing as willing to go to war, 
have too much faith in an ethereal God, uh, have values that are not right, ob- operate not, from the heart and not from the mind. Right, and have values that are not about inclusivity and not about sensitivity. And then there are people with different preferences, and not everybody's an enemy. Right, and we're all hotheads. Right, and the, and the other side, you're hotheads because you have allowed yourself to be blinded, and there's blood flowing over your eyes, and you cannot see clearly anymore, and we are the rational. Now, when they do that, they, have, uh, uh, they get the allegiance of a lot of folks. Their Achilles heel is when they start showing who they really are. When they start showing that they are kind of unhinged. So you mean their Achilles heel is like their entire body? Their Achilles heel is when they're unhinged. When they show themselves to be willing to shut down the country for minor things, that they seem to be, that they have a, a certain lust of power, uh, that they have identified that they can now shut down the country, and so therefore they're going to use it at every, as you were saying, at every turn, that they protest every Saturday night, even though the thing that they're protesting has been put off. And you're like, you're like you start to see that, and then you hear them talking, you see them at the airport, shutting down the airport. Shutting, like, why are you shutting right, down so people's that, travel? Yeah, like grandmas can't come right. to visit their grandchildren. Right, and, and then you hear them say things like... People can't go out like, on business. Right. right, you hear them say things like, oh, don't take the cars, take the trains. What, are you going to tell me how to, what, to, what to drive to the airport? And then you see them in videos telling kids... There's like young people, like 16-year-olds, putting on tefillin at Chabad. Uh, yeah, at Chabad. I saw this. This was a video that went viral in Israel. Right, and, and this lady's like, why are you putting on tefillin? Like, did these guys like... Yeah, she's talking to the rabbi, the like the young rabbi who's standing there. Like, no, she's talking to the kid who's putting on the tefillin. Yeah, she talks to the kid who's putting on the tefillin, and then the, ra- the lo- young, cute rabbi who's there to like have his little tefillin stand so that people can come put on tefillin once a day if they feel like it or whatever... Then she she like she's like I'm not talking to you like right. he, he answers her she's like I'm not talking to you right and so so their Achilles heel is when they start to show their irrational face right and their brand of messianism which is really an offshoot of not an offshoot it's 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 a direct offshoot of Marxism uh, where they are they start to believe in class warfare they show their utter ignorance of Jewish tradition and texts. Now, the majority of Israelis... One second, right, that's one in a good case scenario. In the bad case scenario, they show their rejection of Jewish right. uh, tradition and text. But the, what happens is you're like, wait a minute. Y- y- people start to see, they're like, these guys aren't really about a Jewish state at all. They're, they're about something. And then when they show up with their rainbow flags, and then they show up with their Palestinian flags, and you're like, right, wait, you're like, wait we're, a minute. We're not, we don't want the same stuff. Right. And, and a lot of people, and that's why the Israeli left has lost... lost so many adherents and has and has slid so far down in in the polls and when they do this stuff when they shut down the average people's decent lives then then the more they do this and that's why i say go ahead keep doing it because the more you do it the more you lose and lose and and move away credibility and and uh admiration and your whole stance that you're the rational uh gets completely erased by your overt irrationality uh, Malka, I think it's very important to um, to get the right news and to understand the kind of thing that I just explained. You're going to get that from two excellent news sources. One is called JNS, uh, which is JNS.org, an excellent news source, and the Shai Fleischer Show is part to be proud to be part of the JNS family. Uh, excellent email, once a day, boom, get it, get the info, and with I think probably the best op eds in the business. Wow. Yeah, I think I think if you want to see the best thinkers, the the, including Carolyn Glick, including Melanie Phillips and others, 
the best, you know, a tight op-ed section is unquestionably JNS. And then there's JewishPress.com, which is edgy, uh, toothy, uh, bitey, and, uh, and, inf- and, and informative. Analytical. Analytical. And on top of the stories that are happening, JewishPress.com. And the Shai Fleischer Show is very, very proud to be uh, associated with those two uh, websites. Um, and um, I also want to mention right now the good folks at Retro Watch Guy, which make, which, which not make, they, they refurbish and find the most awesome classic watches for you. Retro Watch Guy is a great way to give a gift uh, for, you know, for, 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 for one, of the, one of the guys in your life or just for yourself. That's also okay. I give you permission to get yourself a gift. You deserve <laughs> it, okay? A nice watch makes a big difference. I like my, my retro watch, uh, 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 watch when I wear it to the Knesset. I like that a lot. Uh, the f- good folks at Israel Bible, Malka, put out uh, a wonderful Bible that folks can really enjoy in their house. It's beautiful. My friend Tully Weiss edited it together with Koren Publishers. Great paper, great translation, great transliteration, great commentary, specifically about the land of Israel. That's the Israel Bible, coupon code Yishai. Bam. Bam. Okay, Maka. Speaking of the Bible, uh, this fast that we are experiencing today is a biblical fast. It is mentioned in the Bible. It is a biblical fast. But here's my question. Uh, does, do these f- fasts that talk about really the destruction of the temples, is there any change in their status vis-a-vis the rebirth of the Jewish state? And to answer that question, we have our very own Rabbi Shimshon Hakohen Nadel from Jerusalem's Kihilat Zichron Yosef asking the question, is there any status change to these fasts with the rebuilding and the, the, uh, the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel and the advent of the state of Israel? Shalom Yishai. Following the return of the Jewish people to their soil in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, and in the wake of the miraculous birth of the State of Israel, and later the dramatic reclamation of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount, a number of leading rabbis and authorities discussed and debated the relevance of the four fasts instituted by our sages to mourn the destruction of the Holy Temple and Jerusalem. While the notion of nullifying these fasts may sound shocking, this question was first posed some 2,500 years ago. As the second temple in Jerusalem was being constructed, the Jews of Babylonia sent a message to the priests and the prophets in the land of Israel, asking them to inquire of God, as is recorded in Zechariah chapter 7, should I weep in the fifth month? a reference to the fast of the ninth of Av, abstaining from pleasures as I have been doing for many years. The question was, should these fasts be observed even as the second temple is being constructed? Zechariah answers in the eighth chapter with a famous prophecy that one day these fasts will indeed be transformed into feasts, into festivals. Thus said God, Master of Legions, the fast of the fourth, which is a reference to the fast of the 17th of Tammuz observed today, the fast of the fifth, a reference to the fast of the ninth of Av, the fast of the seventh, a reference to the fast of Gedalia, and the fast of the tenth, the tenth of the month of Tevet, 
shall become occasions of joy and gladness, happy festivals for the house of Judah, only love, truth, and peace. But the intent of Zechariah's prophecy is unclear. When exactly will these days be celebrated as days of joy and gladness? When will they become happy festivals for the house of Judah, for the Jewish people? The Talmud, Rosh Hashanah, page 18, notes that the prophet refers to these days as both fasts and days of joy and gladness. Which one are they exactly? And the Talmud explains that at a time when there is peace, these days will be days of joy and gladness. But when there is no peace, these days will be days of fasting, when there's persecution and oppression. However, the Talmud continues that at a time when there is neither peace nor persecution, these fasts become optional. If the people want to fast, they may do so. If they do not want to fast, they are not obligated to do so. The Talmud then continues and explains that the fast of the ninth of Av has a different status than the other fasts as a number of tragic events and calamities took place on it. But just how is peace defined? The Rashba, Rabbi Shlomo Ibn Adair, defines peace as a time when the Jewish people have settled their land and have sovereignty over their land. With Jewish sovereignty over the state of Israel today, and in the absence of oppression and persecution, we would meet technically the Talmud's criteria of transforming our fasts into festivals, according to this position. However, according to many authorities, including Rashi, Tosfot, Rabbeinu Hananel, Ramban, Ritva, the Tashbets, a time of peace implies that the Holy Temple is standing. Without the Holy Temple, there is no peace, and these fasts cannot be observed as festivals. However, even without peace, in the absence of persecution and oppression, the three minor fasts, the 17th of Tammuz, the fast of Gedalia, and the fast of the 10th of Tevet, would be optional today, as the Talmud suggests. And in fact, historically, there were a number of Gonim and Rishonim who ruled that as the period in which they lived was neither one of peace nor of persecution, the three minor fasts are indeed optional. But according to the Ramban and many authorities, these fasts were accepted over time by the Jewish people and have therefore become obligatory. The Ramban adds, all the more so in these generations where because of our many sins, there is persecution and no peace. In his Laws of Fasts, Rambam writes that there are days when all of Israel fasts. By stating all of Israel, the Rambam too implies that today these fasts are obligatory. And that is how the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, rules. Curiously, in his commentary to the Mishnah, the Rambam records that during the Second Temple period, the fast of the ninth of Av was observed, while the other three minor fasts were optional. In the shadow of the Holy Temple, they were still fasting. Well, this is difficult to understand how, according to the Rambam, these fasts were observed in the shadow of the Second Temple. It would seem that the Rambam believed that true peace had not yet been achieved 
even with a temple standing. One explanation could be that with Persian rule and Greek and Roman occupation during the Second Temple period, Jewish sovereignty had not been achieved or fulfilled. Another explanation, the spiritual state of the Second Temple, which was just the shadow of the first. Yet another explanation, the spiritual state of the Jewish people themselves during the Second Temple. As the Maharsha explains, the prophecy of joy and gladness ends with the pursuit of truth and peace in Zechariah chapter 8. In the absence of truth and peace, the Maharsha writes, even in the presence of a holy temple, we revert back to fasting. The second temple period, as we know, was one of corruption, strife, and baseless hatred, which could explain why, according to the Rambam, these fasts were observed even in the shadow of the temple. According to Rabbi Moshe Soloveitchik, this is precisely why the Rambam himself includes the end of the verse in Zechariah chapter 8, only love, truth, and peace. In the absence of truth and peace, even with the holy temple standing, these fasts are still relevant. But should the political landscape change dramatically, would these fasts still be obligatory? Even before the founding of the State of Israel, there was a sense that the nascent Jewish settlement was witness to the beginning of the process of redemption. For some, the very appointment of Sir Herbert Samuel as High Commissioner of Palestine under British mandatory rule was a sign that redemption was imminent. After all, Samuel was the first Jew to govern the land of Israel in 2,000 years. Some even accorded him status similar to the King of Israel. In a letter written by Rabbi Avraham Yitzchak Cohen Cook, the first chief rabbi, dated July 5th, 1920, Rav Cook recognized that the appointment of Herbert Samuel was, quote, an auspicious sign for the house of Israel and its revival, but continued and wrote, quote, however, as to the fast days, I think that until God will establish our destroyed temple before our eyes, on top of the high mountain, as a glory in the eyes of all the nations, it is impossible for us to cancel them. For of Cook, along with many contemporary authorities, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem is a sine qua non for transforming our fasts into feasts. Later, following the birth of the State of Israel, rabbis and scholars would once again discuss and debate if Israel's independence renders the four fasts irrelevant. Even the communities of Istanbul, Turkey, or Constantine, Algeria, inquired of Israel's chief rabbinate following the Declaration of Independence whether to fast on the 9th of Av. Then Chief Rabbi Yitzchak Halevi Herzog responded in a telegram stating very clearly that the fast of the 9th of Av, which is founded in the destruction of the Holy Temple, is not to be nullified, not it, nor the other fasts. But in the wake of the dramatic events of June 1967, those six miraculous days in June. The question would resurface once again. Addressing the new reality of a unified Jerusalem, Rabbi Chaim David Halevi, who served as chief rabbi of Rishon Lezion and later Tel Aviv and was a major, major decisor of Jewish law and addressed a lot of these contemporary questions, wrote that while we have merited the first flowering of redemption with national independence, is it not clear that it is not yet the final redemption until we merit the coming of the Messiah and the building of the temple. He continued, quote, Now when we have conquered the Temple Mount through a military victory, and nevertheless Jewish law prohibits us from entering into the holy place and performing the holy service there, 
And all the more so as we see that there remain foxes that trespass upon it. What is the reason to even think of nullifying the fast of the ninth of Av? Rabbi Tzvi Yehuda HaKoin Cook also felt that, quote, we cannot touch the fasts commanded by the prophets. He continued, while we find ourselves in the midst of the historic process of the redemption of Israel, one must understand that the fasts today are a continuation of the root of the pain of the past over the destruction of the temple. And these things pain us until this very day. One of his students, Rabbi Yaakov Ariel, who served for many years as chief rabbi of the city of Ramat Gan and the head of its Hezder Yeshiva, ruled that in order to make any changes, there is a need for an authoritative Beit Din, a Jewish court over Am Yisrael, the Jewish people, and true peace. And given the current situation, it appears that today we have neither. He explained that while we have achieved sovereignty, the current security situation, along with the spiritual state of the state of Israel, make it impossible to exempt us from these fasts. In a lecture given in 1968, Rabbi Yosef Dov Halevi Soloveitchik, one of the leaders of orthodoxy in the 20th century in America, and the head of Yeshiva University for many decades, grappled with the question of the fast of the ninth of Av in light of the state of Israel and following the reclamation of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount during the Six Day War. He asked, Does Yom Hatzma'ut, Israel's Independence Day, answer the question of Echa, why? He's referring here to the scroll of Echa, which we read on the ninth of Av. Only fools can think so, arrogant fools, he continued. And there are many fools of that sort. Can a Jewish government or military success be considered a substitute for all the suffering and killing of the years of Israel's exile? It is forbidden to say that this is the recompense for six million Jews who were slaughtered. This is an expression of cruelty and a total lack of sensitivity. Does the rejoicing of the Six-Day War answer all the questions that arose in the period that preceded it? Are we not as puzzled and confused as we had been before it? Did this triumph lessen our sorrow and calm our spirits? Did it resolve our problems and doubts? Is it not incumbent upon us to repeat as Jeremiah did, the question of Echa, how? As long as God's will is as obscure as it was during the dark night of the hiding of his face, as long as historical events have not been clarified from a comprehensive and true perspective, as long as the world mocks us because of our faith in a merciful and gracious God, as long as the mystery of Echa has not found a solution, it is forbidden to abandon the ninth of Av. As long as a Jew asks Echa how, one must continue to fast on the ninth of Av. Only after we succeed in deciphering the mystery of Echa will we be able to abandon the fast of the fifth month. For Rabbi Soloveitchik, the ninth of Av is a day on which we mourn all of the calamities and tragedies throughout Jewish history. And the day itself, along with the reading of the scroll of Echa, requires us to try and make sense of our national suffering, until we understand the root of our suffering. These fasts are still very relevant, according to Rabbi Soloveitchik. In the prayer for the welfare of the state of Israel, we describe the state as the first flowering of redemption. We recognize that it is not yet the complete redemption, but the beginning of an ongoing process 
that is unfolding before our very eyes. We recognize just how far we have come, but how far we still are. Indeed, Rabbi Tzvi Yehuda Cohen Cook believed that, quote, one may fast and mourn for the destruction of the temple and the exile, and at the same time see and recognize the light of salvation that shines forth in our day. May we indeed merit to recognize the light of salvation that shines forth in our day, but also mourn properly and see the fulfillment of the promise of our sages in the Talmud that all who mourn for Jerusalem will merit to witness her in her joy. And may we finally merit to see the fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah and observe these fasts as feasts and festivals. Wishing all of the listeners blessings from Jerusalem. Thank you very much, Rabbi Shimshon Nadel. You are awesome, and thank you so much for being part of the show. Isn't that good? That's yeah, good really Torah good. Marker. Very, good. very good. Very informative. I That's like right. his segment. Good Torah, tight. Amazing few stuff. Few minutes. Do you know? Do you know Rabbi Shimshon is also an amazing electric guitar player and a big cyclist. Okay, he's got a lot of hobbies. I did not he, know that. Yeah, I actually he like, is I didn't a, know that. I didn't know he was a cyclist. Oh, I know he travels on a motorcycle, uh, not, uh, not and a uh, bicycle. On a bicycle. That's right. Uh, he likes to ride to he likes to ride his bicycle. <laughs> he likes it a lot. In any case, uh, speaking of bicycles, we have a great sponsor of the show, which is koshercycletours.com. Uh, they will tour you in the land and around the world in uh, special places, but they'll do it in kosher and style. Okay, not kosher style, kosher yes. and style. Okay, uh, so it'll sounds like something awesome to do in the summertime. Minion food uh, and and high level cycling koshercycletours.com. Absolutely a must. Um, uh, Malka, um, let's, uh, let's also just talk a little bit about uh, the Torah portion. And this Torah portion is Pinchas. Fiery one. That's right. Well, the fire was at the end of last week's Torah portion, which is that the Jewish people hoard after the Midianite gals who brought also their idolatry. And uh, this came at the tail end of a Torah portion that has the most complimentary blessings for the Jewish people. How, you know, we talked it's about sad. that. And then the Jewish people fall. And, and, and this was actually Bilam's suggestion. Bilam, you know, they tried, to, they tried to use a sorcerer to like bomb the Jews from atop. Like just curse them from on high and, and they'll be cursed. But that wasn't possible. So he actually said the way to do it is from down low. Bring in the gals, bring right. in the idolatry, bring in the yum yums, and like people will fall in in that space, and that'll make God distant from them. And then Pinchas, when he sees this uh, public exhibitionism, he basically stabs a Jew, a Jewish leader, uh, and uh, the person that he was um, sitting with, sitting with, and. Uh, and he took mat- he literally took matters in his own hands. Yeah. Very bold. Very bold. And and he is defined as a zealot. According to Jewish tradition, this very same Pinchas becomes Elijah the prophet. Wow. This is like a transmogrification between them. I don't think I pronounced that correctly. But the the uh, something happens there and he becomes Elijah the prophet and Elijah too is zealous. And uh z- zealotry is uh it's a it's a it's it's like a hot pan 
you can cook something on it, but you can also get very burnt. Right. And it, it slides both ways. And Jewish Press asked me to write something about um, about being a zealot, like 250 words. Like what, the, the word zealous, is it a good word or, or bad yeah. word? Here's what I wrote, Maka. Okay. I wrote, I'm writing this, I'm writing this while at a firing range in Gush Etzion, practicing anti-terror tactics with the rapid response team of the Jewish community of Hebron. Are me and my teammates zealous? You bet. Folks here are zealous to defend against an equally zealous enemy. Here in Judea, it is clear that we are in the midst of a serious conflict for the land and for legitimacy. But do we zealously hate every Arab? No. Our enemies are the jihadists, the people who want to undermine our rights and destroy our country, but not, not everyone is like that. Some respect our country, and others know the real will of Allah to bring the Jewish people back to the land given to, to the children of Ibrahim. That's what I wrote. But do we live in a zealous time? Sadly, most of us do not understand the great opportunity of this generation. We are, quote, as dreamers, end quote, not in the positive sense, but in the sleepy sense. Mm. We are dreaming while we should be acting zealously to strengthen our country and develop this land. Maybe we are not zealous enough. Oh. Back at the firing range, it will soon be time to pray the afternoon mincha prayer. Will we, the Hebron rapid response team, pray with zealous conviction to Hashem and ask him to give us strength to do his will? Yes, we will try. But halavai, if it, it, should only, if it only could be more. Oh, nice. That's what I wrote. Okay, Malka, that's, that's uh, the word zealous. Like, don't be afraid of zealous. Like, there's a missing spice of, of the Z spice. Uh, and, and, you know, you got to be careful with it because it's, sometimes it's too hot. You got to be very careful with it. But for the majority of us, for some of us, we need to tone down the zealotness. For most of us, we need to turn it up. We need to be a little bit more zealous about our service of God, about our love of the land, about how we spend our money for charity and for good things. Like there's a, there's, there's right, more. Sometimes zealous means nuts. Right. And sometimes zealous means passionate. Right. And up. Right. And with it. And so I think that there's definitely a more zealotry that most of us can develop. Some of us need to tone it down. Okay. Uh, but some of us uh, need to, need to tone it up. I have like I have a, a kind of joke for a group of folks that uh, that you know donate money to, to Israel causes. I call them nukems, right? Uh. And and I'm like, you know, what do you think we should do in Israel? They're like, we should nuke them, you know. So sometimes like those folks, I'm just like, okay, listen, let let's talk a little bit more rationally. But the, but it doesn't even matter because the majority of us. Really, the majority of us fall on the side of not zealous enough. That's that's basically, and we all know it. We're not zealous enough about our exercise. We're not zealous enough about our diet. We're not zealous enough about carving out time for the kids or the, or the grandkids. We're not zealous enough about you know giving a little bit more money to to to, to the causes. Uh, we're not zealous enough about buying that ticket to Israel or buying that apartment uh, or or carving out time to learn more Torah. There's there's stuff that we could be just a tad more zealous. And I want to tell you a piece of information, a thought. That, that somebody told me a long time ago, this guy was uh, a, a guy who worked for the uh, Carnegie Foundation, the, da- the Dale Carnegie folks, right? Oh, 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 oh. He said how to, to win me, friends and influence yeah, people. He said to me this, he said to me, if you do it 5% better, your competitors will think you're doing it 100% mm. better. My point is, do it 5% better. Let's add 5% of Spice Z 
to our life. Just a little bit more zealotry. A little bit more. You know what? You, 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 know, you said that you're going to pray three times a day facing Jerusalem. Let's do that. You know? Take it one step further in terms of your zealousness. You know, some of us. Maybe think, that's our theme for the next three weeks. What is that? Being a, being more zealous. That's right. Being more zealous. That's right. More more zealous. Not a zealot, maybe. Not, yeah, not a zealot. Maybe not a zealot, but 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 maybe a little bit. You know, maybe a little bit more. Maybe we could take five percent more and add that that into these three weeks and overcome those two sins: the sin of the golden calf, where we put other things in front of God. And uh, the sin of being afraid of the land of Israel and not taking it up and not not understanding the opportunity of our time. I really think that that's that's a good piece of advice. Speaking of the opportunity of the time, uh, Hebron Fund is zealous folks that hold on to the Jewish community of Hebron and beautify it here in Judea, in the heart of Judea. Uh, And we are working so hard to make that town more accessible, more friendly, more beautiful, more connecting to more more connectivity to the forefathers and mothers and the story of the book of Genesis and the story of King David. Uh, that's what we do out there. And you can help that uh, grow and be strong by taking a tour with us at hebronfund.org uh, forward slash tours, uh, of course, through donation. And if you really love this zealous team the, of Maka <laughs> and Yishai, help us out by buy me a coffee. Uh, buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai or going to YishaiFleischer.com and checking out uh, our page in which we do all kinds of stuff to to strengthen the land of Israel. And I really want to thank all the folks that have been doing that. I want to thank Hashem, God Almighty, for giving me the opportunity to uh, be married to you, Malka, uh, and to broadcast together with you uh, to the world the story of the rebirth of the Jewish people in the land of Israel. Thank you, Hashem, for, for that opportunity. Thank you to Ben Bresky, Yochevet Seidman, Moshe Herman, Tabitha, and Lou, uh, for helping us get the show out to the world. It's a team process. It's a system. And you guys are all part of the system. Thank you very much. And I want to thank all the good folks out there, wherever they are, who are part of it. Uh, I want to ask one last thing. Don't be lazy. Uh, be a little zealous to write me an email. Send me an email, ishaiishaifleischer.com, with just a picture of yourself, of your dog, of your of your your your, your, your flag of Israel, your wherever you are out there. Show me show me your life. You You hear a lot about me and my life. But I don't know so much about yours. Even if you're somebody who's written me in the past and I didn't write back or something, don't worry about it. Just find me an email. I'm telling you. It puts a smile on my face and maybe we'll read a next show and it makes a big difference. So God bless you folks wherever you are. That's one of the mottos of the show. Am I right, right. Marco? That's right. Uh, because the land of Israel is a, is a generator of blessings to the world. Uh, the, the channel is open here and then it becomes rivlets. Uh, of blessings to the world. That's really that's 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 really the way to understand it. The, the heart of it is the temple and the temple mountain and the temple, and there's just a beam of energy that comes down from God. This is his uh, the, this is his central abode, and then it goes out to the world. Like we're we're meant to be a blessing to the families of the world, to the nations of the world, to the other countries. That is our role. That is Israel's role. It's not to be right. Don't plug up the highway of blessings. That's right. That's right from here be part of channeling them through that's right don't plug up the highway of blessings god bless you folks wherever you are stay tuned stay strong stay connected lots of loves and lots of blessing from the land of israel the good land and shabbat shalom shalom